The stars have all aligned. Video boards have been installed. Scrimmages played. Protocols put in place. A bubble is born. And if all goes well, an NBA champion will be crowned. From the Locked On Podcast Network, this is the Locked On NBA Season Re-Preview Show. I'm Doug Branson of Locked On Hornets, and I will be your guide as we virtually crisscross the country, and in some cases, the world, to re-preview the NBA season in Orlando. Coming up on Episode 2, we have previews of the Los Angeles Clippers, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Denver Nuggets, and much, much more. Let's go. If you missed part one of our season re-preview, you can check that out on the Locked On NBA feed. If you haven't subscribed yet, now would be a great time. Here's a quick recap of how this is going to go. We asked each Locked On NBA podcast that is covering a team in the bubble to answer the following questions about their team. Number one, how is your team different now than when you paused the season? Number two, what is the biggest current storyline with your team? And finally, number three, your best educated local expert guess on how your team ends the season. We begin our show with a clip show. The Los Angeles Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they look locked in in scrimmages. Does that mean they are destined to claim the NBA title? For that answer, we go to Locked On Clippers. Hey, what's going on? You're tuned in to Locked On Clippers. This is William, the Opinion Updike. And I am positive Chuck Mockler. And we bring Clippers news five days a week to the Locked On Network. Mm -hmm. Today, we're talking a little re-preview with the resumed season in the Orlando bubble. So, Charles, in case people don't know... (laughs) How is our team different now than from when we paused the season? Well, we're down about a full rotation of guys. We are down, <laughs> uh, we're, as of this recording, which is 521 uh, p.m. on July 22nd, we are down Patrick Beverly, Landry Shamit, Montrose Harrell, and Avica Zubats, which is a difficult loss, uh, just in terms of conditioning, in terms of getting ready for the bubble as a whole. Another big change since we left things off, we do now have a fully healthy Joakim Noah Yes. who in one game in the bubble I think has surprised a lot of Clippers fans. I think that you can expect to see him soaking up some minutes at the five for the hopeful championship victors, dishing out some dimes, having a good time. Yeah, that uh, I think Noah's performance is, it wowed some people, and it maybe gave me some relief considering, again, we're down two of our centers. Um, the biggest storyline for the team, I think, other than the fact that we're missing four people, is how Kawhi and PG are going to deal with this whole situation and be able to lead the team to a perceived uh, Larry O'Brien championship. You couldn't ask for two better guys to come back after a long hiatus from basketball. Obviously, both of them with some injury concerns, both coming in through the season. For Paul George, there were some issues throughout the season with shoulder as well as hamstring. And now just to have both those guys fully healthy, I think that that is just a a huge storyline on what that brings to the offense of this team. This is this franchise's best shot at a a championship this is this franchise's best shot at even going deeper than we've ever been in the playoffs before so i think there's a lot to look forward to if you're a clippers fan uh and a lot to get interested in if maybe your team has been eliminated or you want to you want to make the clip flip if you're an underdog and you like rolling with the punches which is exactly what the clippers have done all year so the missing players aren't necessarily that crazy of a thing for us to deal with yeah make that clip flip come on over to the clippers for this bubble period has your take on how the season is going to end changed at all 
uh, since we've resumed play? Man, I'm trying to keep the image of four Clippers key players not there kind of out of my head while I answer this. Uh, but I don't think it has. I still think it tr- truly has to be a championship <laughs> given everything that's going on. You know, I think we're going to keep that two seed. I think we're going to have the easiest path to the championship that we could have. But no, I think the goal is still the same and it's it's championship or bust with a shrugging emoji next to it. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean current vacancies notwithstanding like if the team is at its regular full strength which we can assume it will be by the time the playoffs begin yeah i don't think the goalposts have moved if if everyone stays healthy seeing Kawhi with finals mvp and a a franchise getting its first larry o'brien if you feel like we feel about the clippers you should come on over check out locked on clips we're coming at you five days a week as will said uh, you can find us at Twitter, at Locked on Clips, at Will Updike, at Charles Mockler. Uh, I have been positive, Chuck Mockler. And I am William the Opinion Updike. Let's go restart. For most of the teams in the bubble, change has been the constant. Some teams have lost players and others have been able to gain players, like the Portland Trail Blazers. Let's go to Mike Richmond of Locked on Blazers. What up, world? Surpass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. And here's what you missed with the Trail Blazers since the season ended in March. The Blazers' front court got some much-needed reinforcements. Yusuf Nurkic returns after missing the entire season with a broken leg, and he's going to be ready to go with no minutes restriction. And joining him in the front court is going to be Zach Collins, who played all of two and a half games before dislocating his shoulder and having to have surgery that shut him down for about five months. Both those guys are back, and they look like they're going to be in the starting lineup. In addition, the starting lineup's got another new face, actually an old face in a new spot. Carmelo Anthony, who had started at power forward since arriving in December, moves down to small forward. He's going to replace Trevor Ariza, who isn't joining the Blazers in the bubble because of a family issue. So with a new look starting lineup, that means Hassan Whiteside, who started every game he played at center for the Blazers all season long, moves to a bench role, where he'll be joined by Gary Trent Jr. and what will likely be a pretty short bench for the Blazers as they make a push for the playoffs. And if the rotation is a little bit shortened, seven or eight guys, the lineups certainly won't be. The Blazers are going to be really, really big. A change for over pretty much any of the last five seasons. They're still going to have Damian Lord and CJ McCollum at guard, a little undersized in the backcourt. But when you get up front, they're really, really big. And they're probably going to be really, really big for all 48 minutes. Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony at small forward is 6'8", 6'9". Then you're going to get Zach Collins, a 7-footer, playing power forward next to Yusuf Nurkic, another 7-footer, nearly 300 pounds at center. But as the aforementioned Hassan Whiteside comes off the bench, he's going to play next to a 7-footer pretty much all of his minutes he's on the court. He was slated to play most of his minutes next to Zach Collins last August when the Blazers' season first kicked off, but now he's also probably going to see some time next to Yusuf Nurkic. And that might be the biggest storyline, no pun intended, for the Blazers as they enter the Orlando restart is... Can they fix some of their def- defensive issues by just being gigantic all the time? A lot of Yusuf Nurkic, a lot of Hassan Whiteside, and pretty much only Zach Collins at power forward makes for a pretty intriguing and certainly gigantic front line. Portland enters the restart three and a half games by behind the Memphis Grizzlies, and they have to not only maintain that distance to force a play-in game, but they have to hold off the New Orleans Pelicans and Sacramento Kings to do so. The Blazers have probably a more talented roster they did than they did when the season ended in March, but maybe not one that fits together as nicely. They're missing some defense on the wing, and they're going to 
potentially lose a little bit of firepower by going big all the time up front. But they're in a good position to force a play-in game, and I think that it's very likely that they end up there with the talent they have. The roster will probably be challenged more in the games when they actually hit the playoffs and teams can scout specifically for weaknesses. But in eight games against eight different teams, I think just their amount of talent puts them in a good position to get into a play-in game and give Memphis some trouble when they get Up there. next, things are going to get royal. We're going to talk to a couple of kings. First, Keith Pompey, king of the Philadelphia 76ers beat, and then Matt George. He's on the case when it comes to the Sacramento Kings. That's all ahead. If you want to catch up and keep track of everything going on around the NBA's restart and eventual move towards an NBA championship, you have to subscribe to Locked On NBA. You've got to subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan. We're talking about John Hollinger and Nate Duncan every week, bringing you uh, their information and their analysis, and then rejecting the screen. Another Locked On podcast with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, one of the smartest basketball podcasts. Check that out. Subscribe to that. Okay, so all of these teams are in Disney World right now, and that's a place where dreams come true. And if you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan, you've been dreaming for a long time now about Ben Simmons being able to take and make three-point shots. And after a couple of these scrimmages, it, it might just come true if you wish upon an NBA star. For more on the Philadelphia 76ers, we've got Keith Pompey, host of Locked on 76ers. You know, the Sixers are a team that talked about building for the playoffs. You know, pandemic came, but they're still talking about this team is built for the playoffs. You know, when you look at this team and you ask yourself, how is this different team different now from before the season uh, paused? And really, I don't see a lot of differences. I don't. I, I see that they right now, the team, the group, guys seem a little bit more together, if, if you want to say that. Um, you know, more of a camaraderie, but we'll learn more once they start playing, you know, you know, having great discussions over Zoom and everything like that is, is good. But when we see when they start playing actual games and how things um, count and you look at certain guys who probably think they deserve more minutes, you know, it's, it's one of those things. That's when we'll find out about the culture. Um, but in regards to the player, you know, Ben Simmons is healthy, so you know, that's one that's a bonus. Um, but in regards to the players, you know, they basically have the same roster. Now they did go out and and, and pick up a guy. Um uh however the person didn't make the trip. Um so it, it it's one of those things, the core guys, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference. Now the biggest storyline for the Sixers is basically Ben Simmons. You know, Ben Simmons you know, was the point guard. Now they moved them to power forward. But I, I believe it's going to be more of a point forward role. I think that it always was going to be a point forward role. You know, Al Horford, before the pandemic, he basically lost his position because he didn't play up to the level they would have liked when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and he were all on the floor together. The spacing was awful. So you take Al out and you bring in Shake Milton, who was phenomenal while Ben was injured for the last eight games before the pandemic. And you take, you know, Al out of the starting lineup, you put Shake in there. And what you do is, because Ben's not a pretty good 
three-point shooter or he doesn't tempt threes, you have now the luxury of having him at the high post and and court, having him quarterback the gym, so to speak, you know, as a point forward. So I think that's what we're going to see, right? My best guess of how far this team will go and how it's going to you know, I, I think that they're going to be lucky if they get out of the second round. I don't see this team going that far. I don't see this team advancing, you know, beyond the uh, beyond the second round. And I think that for them, they'll have to hope and, and wish that they don't get a bad first round matchup. You know, if you know, a lot of people saying Boston is the team that they'll face, that they that they prefer to face. You know, that would be good just because I don't see anyone stopping Joel Embiid if he's on top of his game, right? But Miami, I'm a little concerned about um, if they had to go up against the Heat. And you never know what's going to happen with Indiana, you know, at this particular time. You know, I don't know if Indiana has a lot to play for, so that could be a bonus. But um, this is what the Sixers are going to do. Um, I think they're going to come back. I think they're going to get a lot of hype. But again, we'll we'll learn more about this team like four or five games in. And I, we'll learn more about the identity. We'll learn if guys could get along with their, if if guys could thrive in their new roles or not. Kings fan or not, you have to feel some sympathy for Sacktown. Before the season ended, the Kings were on an absolute tear. Now. Well, for that, we'll hand off to Matt George of Locked On Kings. Hi, everybody. This is Matt George, the host of Locked On Kings. I'm excited to be able to talk basketball with you again as the Kings are fortunate enough to be one of the 22 teams invited to the Orlando bubble. However, the pause to the season might have really hurt Sacramento as they were playing their best basketball of the year. It's been a rocky year. It's been a tough year filled with injuries, and those injuries issues have continued now into the Orlando bubble, but Sacramento was 7-3 and three over their last 10 games games before the season came to a stop. Only one team was better than them. That's the Los Angeles Lakers. The Kings were going into a major matchup against the New Orleans Pelicans, a national TV game that we felt pretty good about in Sacramento. Instead, that game hasn't been played, and now the Kings have two meetings against the Pelicans as part of that eight-game sprint to try and win the ninth seed uh, and earn a play-in tournament against the Memphis Grizzlies, who, by the way, Sacramento is 3-1 and one against so far this season. So the Kings at least liked their chances. That's before they actually got to the Orlando bubble and things over the last couple of weeks have just started to go wrong. The Kings have four players who have tested positive for COVID-19. Thankfully, three of them are back. There's one more still in Sacramento. That's Harrison Barnes. Hopefully he will be joining the team very, very soon. We have Rashawn Holmes, who decided to leave the bubble on accident to go pick up Postmates, so he has missed uh, 10 days of practice due to having to quarantine again. And then De'Aaron Fox re-injured his left ankle, although it's a minor injury. He's expected to be back, according to Luke Walton, head coach of the Kings. And now, of course, once again, Marvin Bagley has hurt himself. He has hurt his other foot, his right foot. It was his left foot uh, that he suffered an injury to that had kept him out for the majority of the uh, regular season to this point. So the biggest storyline for Sacramento is what kind of team they are going to have. And if they are healthy, assuming De'Aaron Fox is playing, are they going to be playing the fast-paced style of basketball that they played under Dave Yeager last season that has kind of taken a backseat? 
seat under Luke Walton. Now, we've been told that they are going to play fast. They're going to try and get up and down the floor more and run their opponents out of buildings. But in this case, we'll believe it when we see it. And that, of course, depends heavily on their available personnel. In my opinion, the Kings need to go 6-2 and two in order to to make the play-in tournament. If they do make the play-in tournament against the Grizzlies, I think they do have a legit shot to beat the Grizzlies twice in a row, but getting there is going to be the more difficult test. If they lose both of their games against the Pelicans, they're done. If they split that series one game apiece, they have a chance. If they win both of those games, I think the Kings will make it in. Sacramento has been disrespected up to this point by members of the national media. I know a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about the Kings to end their playoff drought, but assuming they are healthy and assuming the majority of their team is ready to play, Sacramento has a legit shot. Final segment ahead, and you don't want to miss a minute of it. I've got season re-previews on the Denver Nuggets, the home team, the Orlando Magic, and what could be the home of the Rookie of the Year, the Memphis Grizzlies. Everybody, everybody has an opinion about who's going to hold court in the Magic Kingdom. But before you go betting on a king, Don't take your eye off a joker. Let's go out to Denver where Matt Moore has more on the Denver Nuggets. Denver Nuggets enter the NBA's restart as one of the more perplexing teams, honestly, inside of the bubble. They start off the season as an offensive disaster. Nikola Jokic struggled to find his footing and conditioning and maybe his waistline. Like a lot of, there were a lot of problems early on. It was a mess, but their defense was good. So they still got out to a really good record that continued all the way until about midseason when they shifted the other way. And this has happened two years in a row now. They went from being a great defensive, kind of shaky offensive team to an awesome offense team that couldn't stop anybody. But they routed off some really big wins, especially when they were shorthanded. They beat the Jazz and the Bucks with only seven players available on a back-to-back. It was one of their best stretches of basketball. Nikola Jokic was playing, honestly, at an MVP level. Jokic shed 30 pounds during the course of the season. And through all, the, all these injuries, they racked up the second-best record in the Western Conference. However, late struggles, especially after the All-Star break, slid them down to third as the Clippers surged ahead of them. But that's okay. Denver's purpose has not been in seeding. They're not trying to accomplish the number one seed. And especially now, home court doesn't matter. But what they do need to figure out is shooting. How are they going to solve all of their shooting issues with this team, they haven't been able to consistently find the kind of weapons, and that's why Michael Porter Jr. is so important. The rookie was a sensation whenever he got consistent minutes, which was not very often, either by injuries or his inexperience with defensive and offensive schemes. Porter was never able to consistently get on court, but when he did, the Nuggets were extremely dangerous. They were obviously one of the most exciting teams to watch whenever you had Jokic and MPJ on the floor. But him earning minutes is a real challenge because, quite honestly, he just gets lost a lot of the time. And that's not exactly great for where Michael Malone stands. The Nuggets are no longer really entering this bubble with any sort of identity. We don't know if they're going to be a a hyper-offensive, slow-grinding defense team, if they're going to be... some mix of the two, if they're going to have trouble shooting or if they're going to absolutely blow the doors off. This team has not been able to find a consistent identity beyond Nikola Jokic is great and they pass the ball really well over the last two years. There are times when their defense is awesome, especially when they're facing a pick and roll offense where they're able to put two on ball. That's where Nikola Jokic's 
added weight loss could really benefit. They're in a real position to put pressure on teams that way, and they can be a really good defense depending on who they face. But that also means they're vulnerable against certain matchups more than even most teams are. Everyone's vulnerable against somebody, but the teams the the Nuggets are vulnerable against, <coughs> the Lakers, it gets really, really desperate. There's no way or way of predicting how this team is going to do, and that's before we get into what's gone on with the team during the restart. The Nuggets in their scrimmage had only eight players available, with Jamal Murray and Will Barton sitting out for precautionary health reasons. They still haven't gotten Gary Harris, Torrey Craig, Michael Porter Jr., or Monte Morris, four of their top nine rotation, to even be with the team full-time for practicing in Orlando. They had massive problems with COVID-19 positive tests from Nikola Jokic that delayed his arrival in Orlando, to Monte Morris and Michael Porter Jr., key reserves, and Gary Harris, their starting two guard. The Nuggets expect to have all of those guys back and cleared and with the team as they go forward and get closer to the NBA's restart. But they're going to need absolutely everybody and nothing else can go wrong. The Nuggets' room for error is very small if they want to make the kind of run to the the conference finals or beyond that they're hoping for. They need a lot to go right, and 2020 is just not a time when almost anything goes right. For more on the Nuggets, make sure to listen to Locked On Nuggets with Adam Mares and Matt Moore. The bus ride to the bubble was pretty short for the Orlando Magic, but the road to the NBA championship will be much longer. Let's go to Philip Rossman Reich, host of the Locked On Magic podcast for more on the Orlando Magic. First, a recap of where they are. They're 30 and 35, a half game behind the Brooklyn Nets, and five and a half games ahead of the Washington Wizards. So for the Orlando Magic here when the season restarts, they have plenty to play for. A chance to move up to the seventh seed and avoid the Milwaukee Bucks, and also the uh, need to play well enough to avoid the Washington Wizards, who of course are playing without some key players, but I'll, I'll leave that to Lockdown Wizards to describe. The Orlando Magic are still a, a fairly similar team to what they were when the season ended. Everyone is back. The only player not in the not in the bubble, not in the in the campus setting, is Alfred Camino, who is dealing with a knee issue and is, is rehabbing that inside the Amway Center, inside the Advent Health Practice Facility. Uh, and so the Orlando Magic are essentially the same group. They're you know, when the season ended, they were playing some incredible offense. They had they were leading the league in offensive rating uh, after the All Star break, and they're hoping that that can carry over. But the reality is, this Magic team is almost going to be starting from scratch, and that this is a team that still ranks in the bottom ten in offensive rating for the season, and is a top ten defensive team, but was slipping considerably. So, a big key for the Orlando Magic as they get set to enter this situ- enter the scenario and enter the situation is the fact that they have to get back to their defensive roots while still maintaining the pace and offensive flow that made them so successful after the All-Star break. That's where a player like Markel Fultz is going to be key. Markel Fultz, however, entered the campus late. He entered it uh, last Friday. He did not play in the Magic's first scrimmage. Um, And the team's going to need to get him and the rest of everyone else, obviously, back up to speed. However, the biggest current storyline with the Orlando Magic is the player they might be adding. Jonathan Isaac was on his way to an all-defensive team appearance. He was leading the league in stocks, that's steals plus blocks, with about four of those per game. And he was really, honestly, the only true elite player on the team. He or the only player, at least, that is elite at something. You know, a guy who would be considered for a, an NBA award of some kind. Isaac, however, uh, injured his knee with a, severe, with a severe sprain called a posterior lateral corner injury on January 1st. There was at least some hope that maybe possibly he could play by 
sometime in April uh, when the season went on hiatus. He was uh, traveling with the team and shooting at least set shots, but it was essentially that he was lost for the season. Well, time does actually heal all wounds. That isn't just a saying. Isaac is with the team inside the campus setting. He's begun doing some five-on-five work, and there's at least a small, maybe, percentage chance that he could play. To say the least, if Jonathan Isaac plays, it changes a lot of things about the Orlando Magic. It gives them an elite defensive presence and someone that can match up with the likes of Pascal Siakam and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Maybe not stop them, but match up with them just a little bit better. The Orlando Magic face a uh, relatively easy schedule. Four of the teams that they play are are under 500, which is a group that the Magic have done fairly well against. And if the Magic can steal one against one of the playoff teams that they're facing, whether it's Indiana or Philadelphia or Boston or Toronto, which is, those are the four, then the Magic should see themselves winning the seven seed. I have Orlando going three and five uh, in the seeding round games, and I do have that as enough to get the seven seed, especially if they take both of the games against the Brooklyn Nets. This has been Philip Rossenreich with a re-preview of the Orlando Magic. Be sure to check us out on Locked On Magic. Last but not least, they are young, they are hungry, they feature one of the most dynamic and exhilarating players in the NBA right now. He might be Rookie of the Year, John Moran. They are, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies. And Sean Coleman, host of the Locked On Grizzlies podcast, gives us more on where they stand and what chance they have of taking home the title. Yes, a lot of people didn't expect for us to be here in this position, but I know the Grizzlies and the coaching staff, they're ready to play as if they expected to be here, and we're ready to continue exceeding expectations as we have all season long. So kind of a little re-preview as the season gets started. You know, a couple of things are in place for the Grizzlies that are definitely positive when compared to when the season was suspended. A big thing is health. Both Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark, two significant reasons why, why we are in the position that we're in, they're now healthy, back to 100%, and that's a big development for the Grizzlies. They were without them for a few weeks before the suspension. Though they were expected back in the middle of March, they've now had more than enough time to heal up, be ready to go. They both seem to be in great spirits, and they really seem to be ready to tackle this new opportunity that's in Orlando. The other big thing for the Grizzlies is the setup that is in Orlando. This ability to have this kind of second unexpected training camp, it's a big development for a team like the Grizzlies. Number one, they're the youngest team in Orlando. So for them to be able to have the time to get kind of re-collaborated with each other, for them to work out new wrinkles to the offense, strategy schemes, lineup looks, bringing in new pieces to implement with this team to build chemistry, all of that is a big positive for the Grizzlies. Because let's be honest, they're not the only team. As a matter of fact, most teams are gaining health. They're back to, you know, nearly all these rosters are back at full health. And with the Grizzlies' eight games they have set up in a lot of these games on paper, they're going to be the less talented team. They're going to be the underdog. So for them to have the time to come up with ways to make up for that through the, by utilizing their depth, utilizing lineup, scheme, and strategies, that's a big positive for the Grizzlies, and Taylor Jenkins and his staff should be able to take advantage of that. So, of course, the one negative thing that has occurred also deals with health, and that's the Grizzlies' biggest storyline. That's going to be the absence of Justice Winslow due to his unfortunate hip injury that he suffered in practice last Monday. Going to keep him out for the rest of the season. That's a big piece to take out of the equation for the Grizzlies, and their ceiling in Orlando likely is not as high as it would be with Winslow in place. In Orlando, the fallout from that is 
is who's going to take up for his absence. Yes, players such as Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, Josh Jackson, and Kyle Anderson all have stepped up in bigger roles as the season has gone along, but now the Grizzlies are going to have to rely on them significantly. How can each of those players perform, and can they remain as effective as they were you know, before the season was suspended? What does this mean for the Grizzlies' expectations in Orlando? Personally, I feel the Grizzlies are going to be able to go 500. They're going to go 4-4 four and four with a very good chance of going 5-3. and three. Because of that, I think that puts them squarely in that playoff spot as the 8th seed. I also expect for the Grizzlies to be able to survive that. I think likely in the second game, they'll beat either the Trailblazers or the Pelicans, whoever their opponent will be. And then because of the Grizzlies' tough schedule leading up to the playoffs, I do feel they will enter the playoffs as the 8th seed and can steal a game from the Lakers, and they will push the series to five games before bowing out in a first-round exit. So that's how I feel the Grizzlies' season will turn out, 4-4, four 5-3 and four, five and three to end the regular season, surviving the play-in game, and stealing a game before being eliminated in the first round. That'll do it for part two of Locked on NBA season re-preview series. One more part to go if you haven't already. Make sure to subscribe to Locked on NBA and check out part one of this series. Next up, we're going to be previewing the Los Angeles Lakers, the Boston Celtics, and we'll have an extended look at the first matchup, the Jazz versus Zion and the Pelicans. It's going to be an exciting final part of our series. We'll have more ahead. Thank you for listening. Happy basketball. It's back.